we're back on the block with season finales, special guest stars. It's going to be a crazy episode. Crazy episode. And I'm so excited because I'm Doug and I'm here with my two favorite ladies, my podcast cohort, uh, Karen, and my life cohort, Alyssa. So thanks, Alyssa. We're glad to have you back as our special guest. Thanks for having uh, me. To always our pleasure. And we're here to talk about... I guess season five, episode 33, Who's Afraid of Amanda Woodward? The season five finale, which is a <laughs> spoiler a big alert. One, guys. Spoiler alert. Absolutely no one is afraid of Amanda in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real takedown kind of thing. I, yeah. Which is like, I mean, this is like, which is like a serious, um, oh, we're going to get to it, but th- that was kind of like, I don't know, the biggest shocker is like Amanda's brought She's down. Yeah. And it's brought down. So, yeah. Um, so, oh, God, this episode. So, okay, I, I just want to go over some numbers. How many cast members have we lost now, too, right? Like over the course of the series or this year? The, uh, over the car- course of this, se- this, this episode and then maybe this season. So this episode, did we lose... We lost, we lost three. three this episode. We lost three this episode. Okay. Which makes a grand total of five for the season. Just in this season alone. Is that the is that the like the the largest number of series regulars that have left over over the course? That's of a the good season? question. You know, I know they did a big house cleaning episode uh, like finale in Chicago Hope when like the show was tanking, so they fired a lot of their heavier hitters, including Christine Lottie, who was a reigning Emmy winner at that time. I know NYPD Blue had like a big season of loss when they wrote out Jimmy Smith and a couple others, but this one's big. Right. Well, I met with I met specifically with Melrose. We haven't had an exodus. Oh, like nothing this, compares. Oh, yeah. No, this is definitely the biggest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so yeah, this was kind of like a wild season, and 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 way more enjoyable than season four. I agree. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, season four was endless. It's so funny because I always look at season four as being the bad season, but, you know, different strokes, different folks. I mean, like, the the way, Karen, you were continuously repulsed by season four, like, amazes me. Not in a shocking way, but in a way that, like, I'm just surprised how it exceeded my own. But I I agree with Karen because it was was endless. And the storylines just didn't make sense. Like, and they just, and they were so outrageous, even for a soap opera. Like, we were just talking before we, while we were eating dinner, these are the conversations Doug and I have about, like, how many characters have had amnesia. And I was like, well, not amnesia, but, like, she, Jane went and had her stroke. Like, that happened in season four, right? Yeah, and then like, was uh, disabled. And Allison and then, was blind. And Alice was blind, and, <laughs> and Kimberly had personality disorder. Yeah. And I would have preferred amnesia at this point, though, right? <laughs> and, yeah. Kimberly, Kimberly had, like, several different personality disorders between the beginning and the end of season four. Plus, Matt had his pill addiction. So, oh, oh yeah. my goodness. And also, wasn't that also... Was that all Bobby Parisi? Was that all that season? Yeah, that was all that season, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. And and was jail for killing that, uh, for murdering, for being set up for the murder of that guy's wife. Oh, yeah. That's where that 
had picked up. Yes, and, and Alan? Jake had killed Jess. Yeah, yeah, and and the, and the storyline with Alan, the gay, the closeted actor. Yeah, right. We had Alan. See, and we had Denise like... Richards. Yeah, and Dr. Joyce Brothers. Did, <gasps> did Brooke die in season four? She sure did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I mean. Like at least like season five, like they had storylines, and they just kind of evolved over time. And we pretty much, with some exception, had had likable characters. I mean, in terms of, you know, even even uh, Taylor is sort of like that character you love to hate. Taylor was a lot of fun. Is a lot of fun, I should say. Yeah, because yeah, like Brooke wasn't fun. Like I just no. wanted, like I, I really wanted somebody needed to like drown her in the pool. Well, took you two thirds of the season, but you got your wish. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> and I loved Amanda this season. Yes, that's and I, I don't know how much Alyssa hears from week to week when we're recording, but that's been one of the through lines that we've been saying. Like Amanda has actually been a really great character this season and Heather Locklear in particular has been an MVP. I think this is her career best. And I yeah. stand by that. Give yeah. that woman a, an Emmy. The yeah. I mean, we can't because it's 24 years ago and we don't give Emmys that. But yeah, agreed. Great. <laughs> but Under, I'll tell you. Very underregarded. Yeah. I also liked Billy this season. All right, Alyssa, goodbye. Uh, uh... <laughs> but couldn't stand Allison for most of it. Well, I think you and Karen you. agree there. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm with you. I've had it without, I mean, you know, the thing about Billy and like, he just wasn't in a lot of the, yeah. like in the past, like two episodes, really. It's his, his, his storyline seemed to have picked up the last couple of episodes, um, almost in a rush to finish that storyline. Yeah. 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 So do we dive in? Let's dive in. Okay, so a lot of these storylines do anything from completely intersect to slightly dovetail. But there's two that really do kind of lift out. I'm thinking we can cover one or both of them first and then get to some of the meatier stuff. Okay. Do we start with um, Melrose Place's mm-hmm. least favorite resident, Matt? Yeah, because I actually I yeah, really let's start here because I was actually not anticipating the resolution to this storyline. Well, I had a feeling that that was the case based on what you said last week. Right. So let's let's dive in. So where uh, we we finally um, where were we? Where did we end up with these two last week? There's that's when Chelsea like hurt her hands in PE, and the uh, the mom Denise comes to the hospital and you know she's like, well, you were busy working, Matt, so mom had to come and get me, and Matt won't engage in arguing with her um, in front of Chelsea. He plays okay. like the wisdom of Solomon, gotcha. um, and and she's basically like, I'll see you at the hearing. So the gotcha. hearing is is all saved for the finale. Gotcha. So when we open up, I guess Matt and Chelsea are at the hotel. Uh, Chelsea's at the hotel. She's talking to Matt on the phone. And I guess it sounds like the hearing is the next day. Because I think they're kind of mm. talking about it. Yeah, I think it's the next day. 
Yeah, and um, and and that's when mom comes home. But now we start to see the problem with mom. Yeah, we really get the the first true indication of what mom's life is like, and it's not as cleaned up as Denise has made it seem. Right. I mean, honestly, they could have given this to us maybe a few episodes ago, a little bit more drips, but okay, but we're there now. So Yeah, they've always home. been very vague about, yeah. like, uh, you know, she used to be really unreliable, which unreliable or like free-spirited is different than, say, getting passed out drunk and bringing strange men to your hotel room with your daughter. Which is what she did. Yeah. And so she's passed out in the bed. She can barely move. There's a creepy dude there. He starts putting the moves on Chelsea. Chelsea While the mom is passed out. Yeah. While the mom is passed out, Chelsea grabs her backpack and runs. And we're and I guess she goes to Matt's. She goes to Matt's. She li- but she lies about what happened with her mom. She covers and just says like, uh, "I came in a cab. I wanted to see." Right. And so. Um, so so she spends the night at Matt's, then they, they go to the hearing the next day. And I mean, it was kind of like the back and forth that you would expect at, at, at a custody hearing. And of course, all of that stuff about Matt's friend, Matt's friend who, who had the partner that died of AIDS and the night, you know, and the, the, it comes out in the hearing. And of course, the lawyer and the mom are making it sound like it was very untoward. But meanwhile, it was yes. very, very, you know, can innocent. I, can I ask a question, though? When she, so like there's a moment where Chelsea looks, when that's revealed in the court, when Chelsea looks at her mom and the, and the mom is like, oh, what do you think ask. you were keeping that diary for? Yeah. yeah. Didn't she know what she was yeah, doing? Yeah, I don't know why else, I don't know why else you'd be spying on Matt and keeping that diary that your mom keeps asking for if you didn't know how it was going to be used against him. Also, there was a period during that time where Chelsea was again like annoyed at Matt over Matt, really siding with her mom, and she was doing that. I think that might even have been the exact time that his friend who lost his yeah. heart came over. Um, so, like, it's not even like Chelsea should have known. Like, Chelsea was really in on it at that point in the first place. Also... Honestly, we- I think I think that came... Be- I, I think that the writers just dropped that in there as a reminder to viewers about the diary because we haven't heard about the diary in a couple of episodes right right but my next question is does it ultimately even matter because it doesn't really turn the tables on anyone like whatever the case is going to be against matt not being as good a caretaker as denise is kind of going to be what it's going to be and we'll get to that but um but like it doesn't i don't think that really turns the tables in turn of, of like how Chelsea feels about her own mother. Well, I think, I think that the writers just thought that it would ratchet up the tension, but really it just kind of, and again, maybe in maybe 20 odd years ago, you know, we're, I guess we're viewing it through a different lens maybe. And, and I'm sort of going, yeah, what's the big deal. But maybe in 2021, that would have been a little bit more, you know, shocking or concerning. I don't know. Well, no, I mean, I watched it in 97 and I I don't think anyone thought it was particularly shocking. I think you're right that the writers didn't really know how to elevate it dramatically 
So they just used it because they planted the seed, but it didn't really bear any fruit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where I think, because I think you could have like lived without it. Um, I think that maybe they were hoping for a much more dramatic courtroom scene than they actually got. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> because this had no like, you know, I don't know. Wasn't there, what was the big courtroom scene? Was it Dynasty? Oh, there is. Yeah, because that's how they introduce um, Joan Collins as a, a witness. Yeah, or something. That was yeah, her big and, arrival. Yeah, yeah, I think that they were hoping for, you know, a sort of dynasty courtroom scene, and instead they got kind of, I don't know, it was more like... Yeah. Barney like, Miller. here's something that <laughs> I would have done if I were a writer, in a way to integrate your cast a little bit. You know, like, let's say someone that Matt has maybe not even got along with the whole time. Though I don't know who that would be at this point. But I'm just going to say, Sid, I don't know. Um, so you, like, you have Denise get drunk at shooters, have Allison or someone even witness it, and then come in to the courtroom at the last minute and say something about that as, as like, if that's not what happens because Chelsea ends up saying something about it. And it ends up not being, not really doing anything. But you could have someone, and then it's like you're using someone else on your canvas, and it's something that says, like, strengthens the relationship between Matt and this other character, um, and also furthers the story along with this dumbass custody case that we're talking way too much about. Anyway. Well, then you'd have to, like, actually have Matt interact with everyone else in the show. Yeah, they never like doing that. <laughs> Well, no, why would we do that? I mean, even, I mean, uh, Michael only went to his brother's wake because he thought <laughs> Megan was going to be He didn't go for support. Um, yeah, yeah, nobody, nobody cares about Matt. But anyway, so big surprise, um, you know, the... Well, actually, the big the, the big sort of aha moment at the courtroom is it looks like kind of like you know Matt's Matt sunk uh, the cost because of this episode with having having the friends stay over. But Chelsea actually takes the stand and tells the court what happened the night before in the hotel room, yeah. which was the shocker. And so now we sort of start to think, oh. Well, the court might find in Matt's favor, but, you know. Well, and his nice lawyer, to... who we've never seen before, says as much. She's like, 10 to 1, you get the kid. Yeah, but it's 1997. Yes, times were different, guys. Times were different. I and, know. Of, and, of course, the court rules in the favor of the mom. Yeah, and and Matt's, like, sort of not surprised. He's His heart is sunk. Uh, he's like, well, anytime you have a choice between a biological mother and a gay man, they'll always pick the mother. And I'm like, well, in the abstract, when you say it like that, Matt, yes, they probably will. But knowing the context behind that, yes, we can see how that's uh, not necessarily the best decision. Am I the only one who thinks this storyline would work better if she was younger? Um, like the age of the kid in Kramer versus Kramer, which this whole storyline seems reminiscent of. <laughs> sure, yes. So not that young, but not uh, what was her name, Natalie, Natasha, the 
The other kid, he was... Oh, yeah, when he married the Russian. Katya? Katya. Katya, yeah. Yeah, they do, they seem to want to make, give Matt kids. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of like, you know, where this is headed. Um, so... Yeah, so I guess I guess so. No surprise there. Um, she gets uh, sent away with her mom, but then plot twist. Yeah. Twist. <laughs> Hold on, there's some feedback coming through, so I'm gonna see if we can fix it before we Okay, so we're back with the Matt plot twist after yeah, we technical left difficulties. Yeah, left you in a little bit of suspense, but now things are even clearer. Karen, I think you were about to uh, tell us Yeah, something. so plot twist, um, and of all the plot twists in all the land, this was the most disappointing. <laughs> you know, I was kind of hoping that Chelsea, you know, just like sort of like fled the airport um, to go be with Matt, to go be with the uncle that she loves that's going to take better care of her than her mom. Like I was just hoping that it was it was something that Chelsea it was Chelsea's decision, but instead her mom calls up Matt and is basically like, I'm no good. I'm not a good mother. I thought I could do this. I can't. She's better off with you. Give her this note. Goodbye. Goodbye. And yeah, Matt's just way, kind of I'm like, don't make me tell, tell her. her. Yeah. You are. yeah. <laughs> and Matt's like, you're the one that has to tell her. And she's like, give her this note. Goodbye. Um, and I can't say I, the actress who played this, it was, she was, she did a great job like this. I don't want to take away from that work because I was really impressed with the way that the actress handled the scene. You know her name, Doug. I have no idea what her name is. Yeah, Nancy Lee Gron is Denise. Really one of the best. Yes. And I thought that that was absolutely wonderful, but I just really felt like that decision should have actually come from Chelsea. She should have made the decision that she what was in her best interest was to stay with her uncle. Not only that, we really have no idea why she finally changes her mind. Yes. And that would have made, so it would have actually made much more sense for Chelsea to be the one that said, I want to be with my, you know, my mom gets blind drunk and brings home creepers. I'm probably safer with my gay uncle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could even just say uncle, perhaps. But yeah, either way, she'd be more safe. Yeah. Well, no, I'm saying gay uncle because the court had an issue. Because with they were, yeah, because yeah. they said no. Yes. So, um, so Matt's a guardian now. Yeah, Matt, Matt's taking care of his niece again. And you know, you know what I was thinking when I was watching this, and I and not expecting, like I just figured the mom was going to get custody. Oh my god, that's so funny! That was the home. next thing I was going to say. And I was thinking while I was watching this. Wouldn't it have been smart, wise, great for them to have done a 90210 crossover with this oh, sure. particular character? So she should have gone to Beverly Hills High because 90210 is still on the air at this point, correct? Yeah, they were all in college, but yeah. Oh, that, then that wouldn't have worked. But she could have gotten a job at the Peach Pit. Very true. 
And, or the after dark or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And and it could have actually and then there and then she would have been in both series. And there would have been a bridge there again because the only bridge that we had between 90210 originally was Jenny Garth and Grant Show when, you know, Jake was chasing the underage girl, right? That opened and that's the reason why we have Meryl's place in the first place. But I think to sort of rebuild that bridge over to 90210, like that was a missed opportunity. They could have actually wisely used this storyline and wisely used Chelsea to rebuild that bridge. Yeah, I think that actually would have been a great thing. Reconnect those dots. Yeah, I mean, why am I not Rhyme shows in a writer's do those crossovers room? all the time. Why am I not staffed in a writer's room? I know. If only we could do the same kind of time warping that Melrose themselves uh, do. I know. I know. I would be working for D Aaron Spelling. Darren yeah. Spelling. I can't even say his name. I'd have to know his name to get the job. <laughs> Darren, Darren Spelling. Darren Spelling. <laughs> kind of like a portmanteau. Um, okay. So that's basically it for Matt. We will see a little bit more of him towards the end of this podcast. But, but that's it for Matt this season. Yes. Um, so let's move on. Okay. Let's move on up to Ojai, which is where we find Jake and Allison in their final episode. So Allison is pouty right off the bat. Um, Jake is like starting to get things, put them together at the grill. You know, he's like lacing a basketball net and she comes out and says that everything's terrible here. And she really starts trashing his dreams and saying neither the Ojai Grill nor having a family was her dream. It was his. It's another in a long line of failures. And she's like, self-delusion isn't in my blood. And she says, I'm going. And she drives back to L.A. Like. Really unloaded a lot. Yeah, and Jake was kind of shell-shocked, clearly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Colleen comes to the apartment at Melrose Place where Allison uh, has beckoned her. Um, using as, uh, like, an excuse the escrow papers that they have. She's like, Colleen, why don't you and David bring these papers up to Ojai uh, to Jake? Um, and Colleen has now seen the drunken writing on the wall a bit more and says, you know, are you trying to push me toward Jake? Which props to Colleen or the writers for making Colleen not be dumb and move this storyline forward. But this whole storyline is now on fast forward. Right. Because now they're really just trying to get to a finish line that, um... I just don't think it should have been their destination. Um, Jake signs the papers. The Ojai Grill is all his. Says to Colleen that, you know, it's strange without Allison. Um, that, and he says something about, like, thought we had the perfect compromise. I don't have any kids. And she leaves L.A. for Ojai, which, A, not equivalent groups, but be really <laughs> leaning into that whole, like, Jake really wants kids, and he considers it now, after all this time, his life's great sacrifice to go without kids. So, I hate this story. I hated yeah. this storyline. It was like character assassination galore. Well, that's why, I, yeah. I mean, there's so many problems with it, but that is really my personal problem with it well um, i said 
to you, I said, I don't understand why if both actors were leaving, they couldn't just have Allison stay pregnant, they get married, and then they just move away. They said, we, right. we want to raise so, our kids in the suburbs or something. Right. So slight spoiler, by the time we get to the end, Jake and Allison really probably aren't going to be together. Yeah. I agree. Do you think that they did this to leave the door open for one of them to come back? Mm, no. I get the sense that everyone who opted to leave was, like, super done with the show. Okay. But I also don't understand the writers, like, resistance to giving these characters a happy ending. I agree. I think they really just were leaning into, you know, we're a nighttime soap, let's do the dramatic thing over and over again. What I personally would have done was have them go through all of their ups and downs, or up and downs, uh, and then by this episode, have them get over everything and reunite and leave the show together. Perhaps even have, like, a miracle pregnancy to really seal the deal that it's a happy ending. But either way, Jake and Allison should have left the show together, especially because they were the ones who were the original leads of the show when it premiered. Like, they should have done at least that much poetic justice. If you if they're leaving, like, why make them miserable? And why make Colleen get Jake when we don't know her or care about her? Good an actress as Stacey Haydick is as her. Um, yeah, why do we have to break them up? And why do we have to make, like, Allison so miserable the whole season? Right. Like, so resentful. Even to be, like... So I don't understand her resentment because, like, she is like, I don't want kids and Jake has to have kids. But I'm going to be resentful of the fact that he wants a relationship with his son. Like, it doesn't well, make they, any they, sense to me. Yeah, and they've just simplified everything that goes into a relationship. I mean, they practically have Jake talking in caveman terms by the end. But he's like, me <laughs> want kids. You know, kid has want want. It's kind of like where we are. And then the alcoholism like feels very forced. Well, um, she ends up faking or that's being. The thing. Oh, she yeah. actually. I mean, we'll get to it, but it's sort of like she was drinking again for real. She was off the wagon for real, and then found a way to heal herself so that she could just be fake drunk when needed, and then be fine. Right. So, you know, and the, 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 there was also some strange sort of timeline. I mean, Melrose Place, right? But there were some, like, odd timeline-y things. So, like, you know, Colleen, uh, Colleen is sent by Allison up to the Ojai Grill with the paperwork. Uh, Jake and Colleen have this sort of, like, moment together where all of a sudden it's like you think that Jake is having this realization of, like, oh, maybe Colleen is the woman for me because Colleen is like, this place is great. Nothing that a little elbow grease can't fix, you know? And Allison is like, this place is a dump. Let's go back to LA, you know? So it's like, they kind of like really made it clear that it was in terms yeah. of compatibility. Colleen and Jake shared the same dream, whereas Allison had different plans for her life, right. right? Not only that, but they also have that moment in that scene of Jake looking at David play basketball in that driveway with the net that he just set up. And it's right. like, oh, the Insta family he wanted. Like, right. this really is perfect. Right. So and, he, then, and then he goes back to Melrose Place. I don't know for what to find Allison, pack his bags. I don't know what he's doing. 
And he walks in and Allison is sprawled out on the couch, laying in the lap of some random dude. There's like liquor bottles, uh, you know, empty liquor bottles all over the place. And she's loaded. And it, and she it gives the appearance that she was doing something naughty and cheating on Jake with this guy. Um, and so, you know, Jake has a Jake's angry and has a fit and 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 leaves Allison behind, leaves her there, says we're over. Um, and then and then after Jake leaves, the phone rings. And it's the dude that was in the apartment from a payphone, totally sober, like, are you okay? He was really angry, just making sure this was a weird a thing to, to do with an AA person, a fellow AA person, but okay. I've never had to fake drunk. It was all, it was very like weird. Like she set it up to push Jake away. But yeah. Jake had already yeah. been pushed. Yeah, I mean, point. this it's like she needed something to, to finally push him over the edge to, to end things. But, I mean, if this was any sort of real relationship or marriage, there wouldn't be any one incident or conversation that would end things. You would really continue to try to, like, save a marriage, couples counseling or therapy or whatever. And this is just like Allison, sometime, I guess, last episode, unbeknownst to the viewer, made up her mind that what Jake needs is to not be with her and to be with a family, and she's just going to drive him out of their marriage into this ready-made situation. So it's, it's stupid on so many levels, but at the very least, it deprives Jake of having any agency in his own life. Well, I was about to say, can you imagine the hubris of this? Like, and the adult thing would have been to go to Jake and say, this isn't working for me. And I think that we should split up. I want something different in my life. And Allison keeps saying, like, you know, her excuse why she has to be so over the top and so dramatic is that, well, Jake will never leave me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that sort of like, I have to do this because Jake will, he just will never leave me. Right. There's but something to be built I know there's something to be said for having like an honest conversation and ending things amicably. Right. Right. And, and, but no, 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 no. We're going to have the fake drunk and the Right. So what she's feet. doing again, they're going, writers are going for the Stella Dallas treatment. They're doing something like highly melodramatic. Like she's sacrificing her love for Jake to give him the life she knows he needs. And then she's going to start over. But she's um, really not sacrificing shit yeah. because she doesn't but want to go. She's over. not. Yeah. She doesn't want like she like just barely stand him. Just say, look, <laughs> in the end, we rushed into things and we turns out we want different things. Yeah. And you know, life goes on. Yeah, and if she says, I love, I love you, but I'm not in love with you, right? I love that line. Um, I think that would be the, the, you know, that would be enough for Jake to be like, well, I guess I'm going to Ohio without you then. Right. Cause I mean, you know, Jake's not a fool. No. I, he like, yeah. Yeah, at times he almost is, but no, he's not. Yeah. And I just don't think, you know, he's that, I mean, I don't think Allison's that great a catch where he wouldn't be like, okay. No, absolutely not. Also, can we talk about where his diner is located? <laughs> like. On the backest of back roads somewhere. Yeah, it's like off the highway on the back road. Like, who would come to this? 
Anyway. I don't know much about Ohio, but I know that there is a playwrights conference or something out there that's kind of a very big deal. And I guess it's kind of a, like a snazzy place. I think it's one of those things where if you're a local, you know where to go. And like, yeah, I mean, I and this is like true. Jake Steiner is where to go. Yeah, well, we'll never get there. Unless it's in Humboldt County, which I really don't think it is. But if it is in Humboldt County, well, then there's going to be a lot of pot growers. Of stones, yeah, people with the munchies. And that, and that's no. why it's so hidden, because Ohio everybody's hiding is like, pot. I think, similar to Santa Barbara. Yeah, I think it's about, it, it's not in Humboldt County, but yeah. Um, and I think, it, I think it is like one of those, like, it, it's its own little enclave. But it, yeah, I mean, like, it, it's the... the whatever location they have scouted for it really makes it look like it is the most out of the way, unfindable thing. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I, I, I don't think that this was necessarily a wise business move to give <laughs> up shooters to go to the Ojai Grill. But, I, I mean, Jake has had a few failed businesses in his past, so I, I don't know that he is very good at making business But decisions. shooters was always hopping. Yes, it was. It was. It was the only thing that he was able to. That the only thing that worked. Well, that's Although, true. what happened to those loan sharks or whatever he was uh, working with? Well, that guy wanted well, to turn it into the a. The loan shark is the guy that ended up uh, buying Melrose. Or, excuse me, shooters from him, right? Yeah, I guess Fonty, so. Fonty, I think Fonty, I think he might have turned him down because he uh, it, it was. Oh, he says see he the laundromat. The hmm? It was the laundromat. He he wanted to turn it into a laundromat. Oh, uh, he says is that what he's saying when he gets off the phone or something? I don't know. Whatever. He's saying it to Allison when she's pouting. I don't know. I don't know. Focused on. Well, the my pouting. point but, is, it was a dumb storyline, and yeah, and we're not done with it yet, though we're mostly. No. Um, so Colleen and David come to the Jake Allison apartment again, and Allison is there, and this time she has, like, the one and only conversation I've ever seen her have with David, and she's basically like, whatever you think you want from Jake, you don't want to say goodbye to him, just talk it out with him, and maybe everything will work out, like, now telling the kid to do what she's too afraid to do as well, um, and Jake and Allison then have a final parting scene. He comes back with like a bag of his stuff to that he he's uh, he's leaving, and that's it. This is it. That fake falling off the wagon thing was like the last straw. They're over. You know, she apologizes. He's you know concerned. He says, "Please tell me you're gonna get some help." And she's like, "Already working on it." Um, and she goes. Don't ever mistake pity for love. I mean, they're laying it on molasses thick with this, like, self-sob thing that, that's not paying off at all. Um, and that's it. We, Jake and Allison never see each other again. Um, Jake then goes to pick up David and Colleen to take them to the airport. And that's when David is like, but I don't want to say goodbye. And he... Says all the stuff Allison told him to tell Jake. And Jake's like, you know, I want you to live with me. This is my dream standing right in front of me. And asks Colleen to change her plans. And she goes, yes. And then we see Allison at the, I guess, hotel parking lot. Looking at them from afar. 
Yes. Happy but sad. Yes. N noble. Yes, noble. That's a good word for it. That's that's a great word. Um, but we're not done with Allison yet. No. And she's not done with Billy, as it turns out. No. So Billy's nope. got... What? I just said nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Billy's got a lot else happening in this episode. We'll get into all of that. But he has gotten a note from Allison that basically says everything about, like, I'm leaving town. <laughs> Jake and I are no more. Uh, I'm catching a plane. Bye. She is at the airport. She's going to board a plane to Atlanta, which is where she has decided to move. And at the last minute, right before she boards, Billy finds her. And they have a nice extended goodbye scene that is clearly fan service. Um, and, and, you know, she says, oh, the Olympic spirit, I just thought it was a great place to start over. And, you know, she's on the verge of tears saying, look, this is what life is. If we ever knew how things were going to work out, like, how could that be? But this episode, this scene is really about Billy, who's got a lot still to learn involving his relationship with Sam. So he gives her, like, a quick peck and a hug goodbye. And she goes, is that the best you can do? And then they go in for, like, a nice longer kiss, and we see Allison leave to board the plane. But the final shot in that scene is on Billy. Right. Like, even Allison's goodbye. Allison, our initial lead in episode one, first scene of the first episode, she says goodbye, and we still see the end focus on Billy. He takes it. Well, to that point, I am kind of annoyed that. Wasn't Jake supposed to be Billy's best friend and they didn't even get a goodbye <laughs> scene? Yeah, I mean, in theory, Jake and Billy have been best friends and worst enemies a couple times. I don't know where things were left off with Jake and Billy after Billy found out about Jake being with Allison. I but feel they like were, they made up, but no, we're never in a good buds, Weren't right? they at their wedding? Like, wasn't... Like, yeah, well, I thought it was Sam oh, yeah, when kind all of brokered peace. Yeah, and, Sam did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They became the couple friends. And right. I was still kind right. of disappointed... I know Amanda had a lot going on this week, but like Amanda and Allison didn't get a scene yeah. together. I just Melrose has no one's gotten a really good except for Jane. This is the Melrose. thing of all the people, and and we'll probably get be too riled up when we talk about another character's imminent departure. Everyone who has left, including Kimberly, of all the people, Joe, the one <laughs> who has got the best send off is Jane. Because they all found a way to get to the airport to give her a goodbye. Like, she mattered. But all these other people, it's always, like, out of sight, out of mind. Well, I mean, Joe went to Kimberly's go. funeral. <laughs> yeah. We got a note. We got a note that when from Joe, you know, that... Yeah, she, Mac just happened to tell Amanda because he started yeah. getting... Yeah. <laughs> Because she sent a note, hey, <laughs> took off with that photographer from last season, not coming back for this one. Yeah, and the craziest thing is, of all those departures, Jane is the only one who comes back. Uh, is that why, like, do they want to leave the door open for her to come back? Um... I don't, I don't know. She may have left on better terms behind the scenes than the others. I got the sense they announced the week before the finale aired 
basically all three of those cast members that that leave this episode went on the Rosie O'Donnell show on separate episodes and announced that they were leaving. It seemed like something that was kind of late breaking and then kept under wraps until the very end. And I just got the impression that there had been a lot of discord behind the scenes and they all wanted to be done with the show as fast as they could. Do you know what caused the discord? Was it between the cast members? Was it between the producers? Was it, were they just, was it this money? Is, this is based on nothing but what I've thought about since I've watched the show in real time. I think, for at least for Grant Show and, and Courtney Thornsmith, I think they, this show was supposed to be very different. It was supposed to be a prominent primetime drama and it ended up becoming a prominent nighttime soap. So, well, good that they had the work and the exposure for the five years that they did. I think they worried that it put them in, like, typecasting jail. And oh, that they couldn't okay. break free of And in Grant Show's case, that's true. He never did. In Courtney Thornsmith's case, I think it went a little bit deeper because she, I, from what I have read, actually became an alcoholic while making the show and had a not-so-great relationship and quick breakup with Andrew Shue, all during the beginning seasons of the show. So I think uh, there was added baggage for her, especially if it's true that they turned her real-life alcoholism into storyline alcoholism. That may have been a part of it, too. Ooh, um, that's kind of icky. But yeah. that is, I read, that's purported. I don't know any of that for a fact. It's just stuff I feel that I had read all throughout. But what I can say about Courtney Thorne-Smith is that she leaves Melrose Place in May of 1997 and September of 1997, she finds herself on Ally McBeal. Same network, same Monday night, even married to a character named Billy. So <laughs> it's like the universe kind of smiled on her in that regard. So she's on uh, Ally McBeal for five years after leaving Melrose. Then she's on According to Jim as uh, Jim Belushi's wife for right. like 2,900 years. Uh, and then she's on... She's on Two and a Half Men as John Cryer's girlfriend for like the last three or four seasons of the show. Oh, I didn't even know so, that. All things considered, and then um, primetime TV the Emma, has worked out well. She did the Emma Fielding mysteries on Hallmark. That's right. She did a, a trilogy of Hallmark mysteries that Alyssa and I have now watched. Wow. And I somewhere along the way, she got a new nose. Yeah. I actually forgot about all, like, I forgot she did Ally Like, I forgot about her life after Melrose. And I didn't really watch a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, I, I definitely watch I watched like an episode or two of the of uh, the world according to Jim, and you know, so I but I did not know about the um, oh Christ, now I just two and, lost and a half men, two and a half men. Yeah, I, I did not know she was on. Yeah, two and a half. I didn't either. Yeah, and she pops up on other things too. Um, she was a guest star on Mom with Allison Janney last season, I think, and and this is really funny. And at some point, we may even want to talk about this. Uh, she had a recurring role on Fresh Off the Boat on ABC because they have a very a special... That show was set in the 90s and the mom character actually discovers Melrose Place and Courtney Thorne-Smith shows up on a couple episodes living on that cul-de-sac on the episodes that poke fun of Melrose Place. So I guess she had a sense of humor about it at least all along and um, never stopped working. So I'm very glad for her for that because... I think, especially by the end of her run on the show, she was getting short shrift. Well, okay. So who, where do we go next? Well, uh, I think just to tie this up, we have to say there's a final scene 
where Jake is at the house, the new house in Ojai, with David, and David basically says something about, Allison told me to tell you that we'd all be happy. And it seems like the puzzle pieces fit, and Jake realizes whatever Allison gave up, whatever Allison arranged, she put this together for him. Right. But look, he's happy. He seems happy with his life. So there we are. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving on. That, that's, that's too gone. That's too down. Um, okay, I think we have to do Peter and Michael and Taylor and Megan. Okay. Oh, God. So I think, I think this is the episode where Lisa Rinna has worn the least amount of clothes. <laughs> yeah, oh, my so. God. Those are not dresses. <laughs> no, every outfit she wears looks like he came in an egg. And when we open this one, she is like literally in underwear. Uh, yeah, looking very uh, good. Yeah, she looks great. She looks great. But I honestly, I think that I don't think that I think this is the most skin that Melrose has ever shown. Because even yeah. when even that, when the actor when right. when the actors are in the pool, like the women, they they're not. I don't think they're in bikinis. They're mostly in one-piece suits. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, they may be like fancy designer bathing suits, but I do think they're one-piece suits. Yeah, yeah. So, so this was, I mean, honestly, this was a little eye-popping to all of a sudden sort of like be in this like soft-core porn moment yeah. with Taylor in like this underwear, you know, um, and and sort of, you know, trying to wake Peter up by being all seductive. Right. Um, but, uh, but she is thwarted by the phone ringing and uh, Peter is apparently late for a staff meeting. Yeah, and it's Dr. Shulman calling the house to speak to Peter because he's late for their weekly staff meeting. Right. Uh, and then Peter, who had seemed um, very contrite yeah. about whatever abuse he was supposedly doing in the last episode or two, um, is back to being an asshole again because he yells at Taylor for her cheap perfume and her trashy outfits. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Taylor is not going to take it, so she goes straight to Michael Where else? and is yeah. like, Yeah, and is like, Peter hasn't hit rock bottom and we need to get him there, so let's do mm-hmm. this, right? So there's a trick here because Michael can't say anything about what's going on with Peter, quote unquote, because of what they say, that doctor-patient thing. Um, (laughs) But because of confidentiality, Michael can't just spill the beans uh, and, like, implicate Peter. So they realize they have to get um, Megan in on the act, but but unknowingly. Um, But but as it turns out, Megan comes into the office having seen Michael and Taylor at Shooters. And so she's already now thinking something is going on with them. She sees them together, and so... Michael tries to explain, um, and he tells, he tells Megan that, well, he lets Megan figure out that Peter is being physically abusive to Taylor. Right. And the next time we see them, there's a, a children's charity event at uh, the hospital, or for Wilshire Memorial. Um, and the first thing we see is Megan is being rude to Peter. Uh, so to up the ante here and make it uh, public, for other people to be aware of what Peter is like with Taylor, Taylor is wearing this teeny tiny dress that covers next to nothing. 
Um, and I believe it's snakeskin patterned, right? It's I mean, snakeskin. I thought it's, it's, yeah, it's like, like silver it's spangles or something. Yeah, it's like um, that perfect 90s, um, really yeah, short outfit. I was 90s. like, that is so 90s. That is perfect. Victoria Beckham would have worn it. Yes. And so right before she does her thing, there's a funny line where Taylor goes, Michael, I'm really loving this. Which is like exactly the kind of humor that they needed more of, just in general, sprinkled throughout the whole season. But it is very funny. Um, and so, so May, uh, excuse me, Taylor comes in in this non-dress um, while Peter is speaking and, and distracts Michael, him. Does Michael call it something like that's zero percent bath or something like that? Yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> it's as far as she can get from Beth. Poor Beth. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so eventually Peter comes out and he like yanks Taylor out of the room and Megan sees him take her by the hand uh, and he calls her a two-bit whore. Uh, in fact, Dr. Shulman sees this as well. So, so Megan is convinced that what Michael is telling her is the truth because she feels like now she's witnessed it. There's an off-screen scene that apparently happens that I wish we had seen where Megan confronts Taylor about it um, and I guess Taylor denies it which only adds fuel to the fire Megan now has. She's like, oh, Megan, it's a, Megan tells Michael Taylor, it's a classic case of denial. Um, and Michael, like, fake, fakes having this brainstorm that he's had along that, well, if only there was a support program we could put Peter into. Oh, wait, there is, but I can't tell anyone about him. And Megan's like, I'll call. So... Next thing we see is Peter at the hospital, and he sees Megan talking to Dr. Shulman. And Dr. Shulman is like, I understand that we have a big problem and you're being physically abusive, and we're going to relieve you of your duties as chief of staff. And then he sees Megan, and um, she's like, yeah, I did say this because you can't control your violent impulses. Um, which is, I mean, like, among other things... Peter is Megan's boss. He's signing her checks, and she's gone ahead and and, and done this. Um, Michael and Peter, I think, have another conversation, and Michael feigns feeling really bad, but being supportive, and then he kind of, you know, like, turns the knife and is like, well, why don't you resign before you can be fired and appoint me as your interim successor while you do this diversion program? Um, he says, yeah, you know, it's either better. me or uh, she will of Wilshire Memorial. Right, and then you can come back and I'll just step aside. Yeah, once you get better, I'll give you your job back. No, you won't, but okay. And Peter, of all the connivers, would know that. But he doesn't right now. Um, and he, start, he comes back to the marina and is like wallowing. He feels really bad about everything and says she's the only one who's stood by him the whole time and um she's like we'll get through this together so then michael's plan already starts to go awry because he goes to dr shulman and he's like so peter's gonna step aside and i'm gonna move on in and she's like oh no way i'm on to you don't you think if you're the one coming to me about this that's not enough we're gonna have to do a special investigation Kind of like what Cuomo is saying about himself right now in the news. Um, but then she pivots because Michael is like, well, I know this great 
neurology spot that there's an opening you can move right into and, you know, like be the chief or whatever there. And she's like, okay, and doesn't doesn't say anything um, else. Peter, meanwhile, is talking things out with Taylor about his blackouts, and she's trying to, like, bluff her way around some of the things he he's asking. Uh, and he says he's going to go out for a walk. So then Taylor calls Michael uh, and basically, like, says everything out loud, just like when Sid was talking about not being able to decide between Carter and Kyle. Uh, and Taylor's like, Michael, Peter was just talking to me, and he's on to us, and he knows that we've been lying about the whole violent thing. <laughs> and of course, Peter hasn't gone for a walk. He's just standing right outside the window, and I guess it's one of those glass windows that you can hear everything on the inside, because she has basically outed herself unknowingly to Peter. Um, oh, something else has happened that we'll get to in another storyline. The reason Peter has been suspicious, and I spoke, I skipped over this, is because another doctor has said that the EEG that was taken of Peter indicates no rage epilepsy. That is what tipped Peter off when he was going back talking to Taylor. So, yeah. so now Peter realizes someone was playing funny doctor um, and being dishonest. So that's how... That's why he was suspicious of Taylor, and her phone call to Michael is basically what what gave it away. Um, Michael shows up at his office late at night, and Peter is already in his office. Peter confronts Michael about the EEG, um, and Megan hears all of this, because Megan is there, too. And then I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Alyssa, this is probably your second favorite moment of the episode. Which is when Peter and Michael start fighting, and Peter throws Michael straight through the plate glass. Yes! <laughs> and it just affects his hand. His like, surgeon. Michael literally goes head first, but all we focus on are his surgeon's hands, which are now completely bloody and full of glass. Yes. And Megan has to call 911. But because... Megan is also mad. Yeah. <laughs> well, can you blame her? That. Can you blame no. her for being. No, I I don't like uh, I don't always like Megan's holier than thou kind of conceit now, but um, I don't blame her. I don't blame her at all. Um, so okay, but we like missed my favorite joke when <laughs> Michael's talking to Megan about like how she's spending, how like Taylor needs him or whatever, and she's like, "What does she have a brain tumor too?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was great. It was like a little bit of a throwaway line, but it was yeah. kind of perfect. You know, because they like never really acknowledge things that have happened before. Right. It's always true. They're just caught up in the moment, the current story. So, I thought that was pretty great. That was funny. So I guess while Michael is in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, <laughs> um, Dr. Burns, Peter, uh, meets Taylor over at Kyle's restaurant. Yeah, I guess she was leaving Kyle's. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and he's basically like, okay, um, let's go on a romantic vacation. I think I need a little less stress. And she's like, I, she kind of is like, oh no, we can't do it. And then he convinces yeah, she, her otherwise. She has, yeah, she has a couple comes up with a couple reasons to be like, no, I I can't. I have to stay. And he doesn't take no for an answer. And she's like, okay. He keeps he keeps insisting, and she goes with him. 
Yeah. And so she does. And it looks like, are they in the place where Vertigo was filmed? (laughs) I mean, it looks like it. I think it's somewhere further south. But but yeah, they're wherever they are. It's like, you know, on the bluffs, overlooking. It doesn't look like there's a lot of people there, overlooking a lot of uh, water and uh, yeah, yeah, water and cliffs. And and it is very Hitchcockian though how they sort of set this up is like you know Taylor is they they have like these close up soft focus views of Taylor sort of her head up and eyes closed like I don't know feeling the wind on her face um, overlooking these bluffs and Peter is kind of behind her practically like rubbing his hands together um, maniacally and 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 you know that sort of like you see his hands reaching out and reaching out like he's gonna do something bad and Taylor's just sort of like making love to the wind with her face Mm -hmm. and and she has this is a very dramatic Peter. I have I have something to tell you, and it's wonderful. And he's getting ready to give her a good shove, and she's like, "I'm pregnant. Isn't that wonderful?" And so that pauses the whole thing. Taylor yeah. will live to see another day. She is not the third one to get knocked off the show. She is not. No. Um, yes. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. But um, yeah, there, she does, you know, like exhale after he backs off. So, so it's she knew. Almost like she, she knew. knew. It's it is like she knew without indicating to us otherwise. It is like she knows. Yeah, like it seemed like she knew that he was about to like chuck her off the top of this building onto the rocks below. Yeah. But whatever, you know, babies don't last long on Melrose Place. We'll see what happens. Yeah, she for now has is safe. So I guess that's what counts. Yes. Um, I guess now we catch up to Billy and Sam. My <sighs> favorite. <laughs> I don't understand, honey. I, don't. I have no idea what you're like. This storyline has everything, except for good acting. But it has. <laughs> Okay, so Billy is like coming back from. So they don't know that Jim, her Sam's dad, wasn't picked up at the end of last episode. They think that like things are fine. So Billy's coming back from a run and finds the LAPD is like ransacking their apartment and they arrest Sam for aiding and abetting because they think that she lied. So then Billy comes downtown. The main idiot cop that we've been dealing with here plays Billy a videotape of Sam being questioned and and it's really not looking good for Sam so they want to tap his phone and and basically have Billy spy on Sam he is like appalled by this but thinks it over and comes by the next day and says he'll spy on her or inform whatever as long as they let her go so they let Sam go, and at home, Sam doesn't even realize what's going on. She just thinks, like, they learned the truth and forgave her and all is well, and that they believe her now. Um, meanwhile, the police are standing right outside. Like, the cop is in the courtyard, and she doesn't <laughs> even realize. Um, and so she thinks everything is is back on, on track. Um, and then uh, Jim calls from Ensenada. He says he's in Mexico. Um, 
And, and there's a mariachi band playing, so yeah. why would you doubt it? Yeah, so, you know, it's it's either, like, uh, real grande or, uh, or or actual Mexico. It's one of those. Or Chevy's. One of those. Um, but Billy, in taking this tapped phone call from Jim, has given himself away. Because then the cops come through, and they acknowledge that they tapped the phone, and and acknowledge how Billy was complicit in doing this, and they're glad to find out that Jim is in Mexico, but Sam is now mad. Um, and they fight again. I feel like with a lot of these stories in this season, it was like, also with Matt, it was like the same fight or the same episode played out for like three or four episodes in a row just to lead to the finale. And mm. so here it is, they're fighting again. Um, and and Sam says it's over and that she's going to stay at Sid's. Which last time I checked, Sid still hated Sam and Stan Sam still hated Sid. But, but okay. Um, so the bottom line here is... <laughs> Wasn't that also... Didn't Allison also tell yeah. Jake Oh, Allison point, said she was going to go to stay Amanda. With Amanda. <laughs> and last time I checked, Amanda hated her and had fired her. And that, yeah. was, that was where they left things <laughs> off there. Um so this is where um, we, we basically leave things off. Um, after Sam has stormed out and been mad at Billy, which I'm team Billy here, not team Sam, because Sam brought the danger in. Um, that's when Billy says goodbye to Allison at the airport. So we will we'll catch up to what happens next in the final sequence after we catch you guys up on what's left, which is mostly a lot of our titular character, Amanda, with some other cool stuff happening with Craig and Sid. We open the episode with, <laughs> so Sid is mad at Craig because Craig was dancing with drunk Amanda at the opening of Kyle's the night before. Sid is getting the newspaper. She's out in front of her apartment. Um, and, and, and Kyle comes around and apologizes. And he tries to make clear that he's over Amanda. And he, to, to demonstrate, he calls out to Amanda, who is walking down, leaving her apartment in the morning, nursing a hangover. And he goes, Amanda. And she goes, kiss my butt. And that's pretty much that for any doubt about Craig being over Amanda and Amanda being interested in Craig at all. And Sid takes Craig back. Right. And then we see Sid and Craig are in an actual client meeting at D&D. Amanda's there. Billy's there. Bunch of suits are there. Client is there. Is that, wait, is that Karen or is that Alyssa? Yeah. Okay. No, that's me. This, <clears throat> this scene killed me. Well, it's clearly written by people who have never actually worked in an office building ever. As if we ever had a doubt based on five years of D&D. I mean, like, for the proof. I mean, this thing killed me. I mean, I sort of was watching this going. I mean, I know Sid is the efficiency expert, but she's there to make D&D more efficient. Yeah. Not the clients. Right. And so Amanda quotes the price tag for this ad campaign at 15 million dollars and Sid scoffs and is like well you're being fleeced to the client by yeah, five million dollars and the, and you know the thing is i mean i mean 
with what happens next in the storyline, you would think that this was part of a setup that she and Craig were devising, but it's not. Their bright idea comes after this scene right. when Amanda gets mad right. at them. Exactly. Because of course she would be mad at them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, very understandably mad. Yes, why wouldn't they? And so that's when, you know, Sid gets really angry and she's like, well, Craig, let's put her out of business and start our own ad agency. Yeah, Amanda Amanda is continually getting worked up throughout this episode. And I mean, uh, for pretty good reason. Um, but yeah, this is the first instance of that. And so after she yells at Sid and Craig and tells them to fix it, that's when Sid tells them that they should start their own company and put the bitch out of business. Right. Um, like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, isn't that how biz works? Yeah. Um, but I'm confused by D about D and D. Where so are they? Because yeah, really. Amanda, it's not Amanda's company. Like Doug, you said it yourself. Like it has to have board members and like. Yeah, and we see them in another scene. I mean, like there are still people higher up than Amanda that she answers to, and yet they they make her like the only face and decider in the company. But like but it's the, all hers to lose. But the thing is it is technically all hers to lose because I think that well, uh, clearly nobody's worked on an, in an office job. This is either a small business or it is a business with some sort of stock options to require a board, right? So if I you're a so. small business, you don't necessarily need a board of directors. But if you're like some sort of a corporation, you're going to need a board of directors. But if you're a small business, if they're even if they're incorporated, usually the board of directors are the owners of the business. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily these outside parties. Um, so, oh, yeah, because that because even I as the LLC, I'm supposed to have board meetings every year. And guess what? I'm the board. So, you know, I have a meeting with myself every year. Yeah, you agree. My but Amanda always off. had a another boss but then she didn't because she basically partnered with craig like her money bought him out or i don't remember how she weaseled the money out of him but she and craig co-own this because it was he was left that from his dad and you, you know it was like this whole thing mm. so technically now it is hers free and clear but there is still some sort of board of directors that she has to talk to and I don't think that they're necessarily the ones making the decisions but she does have to answer to them to a certain degree well was I the only one that was shocked that D&D &D had that many employees <laughs> because for five years it's been Billy and Amanda and Allison and no one else. Oh well there's also no, don't Guy. Forget, don't there's forget guy. guy. There's that guy guy. <laughs> there's Guy. Because we don't even give him a name, but he keeps showing up and he's just gonna be Guy. But Guy he's is guy. don't forget Guy. Right? I was like I was shocked. I was shocked that there were that many employees. They definitely didn't have security or a receptionist, but well, we saw the security once. <laughs> so, problem solved. But yeah, it's, it's confusing, and because I think it's inconsistent, because sometimes they make it look like Amanda is the whole company, yeah. and the only one with anything to lose, and then sometimes they make it look like there are other people that are like the, the big Empire Council from Star Wars that are like <laughs> making decisions about her above her. So it's the problem is that you are watching with two eyes open. 
and they are not remembering anything as they put it together. But there's some non-D&D things happening with Amanda, too. Um, she goes to Kyle's to apologize for her behavior at the opening last night. Um, and, well, he takes a call. Jennifer, Alyssa Milano, talks to her. Um, and she's, you know, she asks if something is going on there. Amanda says, no, it's strictly business. And Jennifer says, oh, it's funny. Kyle said exactly the same thing. Um, and then Jennifer brings up Amanda's vow of celibacy. And she, you know, she's really laying into her. And she's like, when I was with Kyle, it was five months, every single day, every location. And Jennifer's like, if only there was, you know, she goes, if there was a word for the opposite of celibate, it would have been us. And then Amanda goes, actually, there is a word for that. It's tramp. <laughs> I need to ask about Jennifer. What's her point? Like, why did they introduce this character now as opposed to, like, the beginning of seasons? She, did she contribute anything? Um, she's spoiling Amanda with, um, with, 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 uh, what's his name? Kyle. Kyle. She has sort of taken on the role, and I don't think it lasts, as, like, sparring partner with Amanda that Taylor never fully took on. And she's also sort of become the new Sid, because she's, like, the younger sibling, kind of near do well and troublemaking uh, and gossipy, but she doesn't serve a fully realized purpose. No. And then I think they change her a bit once we get into season six anyway. So I don't have a full answer. I don't know why they felt like the second Kimberly died, they needed to move a new cast member in, but I guess she was like, I'm here, take me, I'm yours. Was she like a coup in casting at the time? Or well, I remember from the time is that the show was kind of a coup for her. Because yeah. she was trying to prove that she was a grown-up Alyssa Milano who could do, like, more adult parts. Yeah, she was transitioning from child mm -hmm. actor to adult actor. And I actually think it was a boon to her career because afterwards she ended up on Charmed. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think it's a boon for multiple reasons to, that she got to move over to Charmed. Um, and I think this was the biggest stepping stone because she had some trouble navigating it in uh, ever since she, uh, who's the boss, ended. And whatever she did, no one really saw. Um, yeah, because didn't she do some like made for TV movies? Or she something did, including, like that? Yeah. including playing Amy Fisher. Um, right. And then she was in Fear with Mark Wahlberg and Reese Witherspoon oh, as like right. a slutty friend. That's right. Um, but, but I feel. I don't mean for that to sound misogynist. Like, that's basically what the role is supposed to be. She is the more sexualized friend character. Um, but I don't... But I don't think that was really enough. I don't think anyone was missing Alyssa Milano. I think it took this show to remind people that, like, hey, I'm a viable younger actress willing to work. Uh, and I think yeah. the show did that for her. And then Charmed gave her, you know, life forever. Right. Well, it put her in that Aaron Spelling universe, and he liked to use a lot of the same actors, um, you know, or would create shows around them or w whatever it was. And so, like, by landing in that uh, Aaron Spelling universe when he went off and, and developed Charmed, you know, she was she was right there ready to do it. But interestingly enough, it wasn't uh, she wasn't the big name for Charmed when it started. It was Shannon Doherty. Shannon Doherty. Yeah. 
um, was the big name. Um, she was the big get uh, with kind of Alyssa Milano as kind of the afterthought, but it was really um, the show that propelled, I think, Alyssa into, you know, household name. I mean, beyond, you know, beyond being a child actor. Yeah, I agree. Um, oh, and so uh, Amanda does leave after that exchange with Jennifer, but she sees, like, Jennifer straightening out Kyle's tie and, again, seems to get the wrong idea about the two of them. And because Amanda is kind of at her wit's end from the beginning of this episode, she has no patience to try and, like, really question her feelings or, or talk to people directly. Right. Um, and then we go back to D&D, where things just get even better because we find out that Kroger, that client that Sid was telling he was fleeced, has dropped D&D. Um, and to pour, like, so much more salt in the wound, right then and there, Craig and Sid announced that they have formed a new advertising agency that they are calling Sky High Advertising. Um, they basically quit right then and there and try to poach the staff right out from under Amanda's face. And that um, is after they have poached the client um, because that is oh, indeed right, their first right. client. Because Amanda yes. says, I've never even heard of this ad, ad agency, Sky High. Right, that's, their, that's how they announced yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a great moment. Um, uh, it is, and uh, I, mean, I mean, I'm kind of team Sid and Craig at this point. In, in within the story myself because you know if i think the idea of rivaling ad agencies not so bad again sid has had plenty of reason to kind of hate amanda so has she? Oh, well amanda poured the red wine on sid oh when they were in the mattress dress um and she thinks that amanda took kyle away from her before craig and she became a couple. That's what started the whole uh, lawsuit. But um, Sydney tried to sue her company for with a fake lawsuit. Remember that when she fell? Yeah, yeah. Because it's the flip side of what I was just saying. So I remember. But Amanda has all the reason in the world to hate Sid because Sid is like nefarious. But Sid is a bit pettier and has petty reasons to hate Amanda. But doesn't their dislike go even deeper back to Michael when Michael and Amanda hooked up? Wasn't Sid kind of, you know, wanted, was she still pining for Michael at that point? No, I actually think Sid is pretty removed during the Michael-Amanda stuff, because that's mostly just about getting Kimberly mad enough to bomb the building. But, but Amanda has always had, like, Sid needling her like when Sid tried to blackmail Amanda and Peter about the death of Jack Parisi okay like Sid has always kind of or often been a recurring thorn in Amanda's side right but she's basically lost every battle right this is kind of like one last battle after um after really they're kind of being detente between the two of them because they were both just occupied by other storylines that didn't involve the other. Um, so uh, Amanda breaks the whole thing up. She goes, what is this? Norma Ray, get back to work. <laughs> so that's, so basically we've had references to Kramer versus Kramer and Norma Ray uh, and Stella Dallas on this episode. Um, Sid and Craig are looking at new office space. Um, and Craig says, okay, we need to sign our partnership papers, which 
takes it a little bit by surprise, and she's like, okay, let's make things official. And it turns out they're airline tickets to Vegas because Craig proposes. And he gives a ring to Sid, and they're excited. They're going to get married with one change of plans. She wants them to have a big wedding here in town. Sid, you should have gone to Vegas. Should have gone to Vegas. Always pick Vegas, people. Always pick Vegas. Karen knows a few things about this. I do, and always pick Vegas. That's it, Doug. We're going to Vegas. All right. It is the best place to get married. What are you, like, 18 years strong? 19? What are you? What are we? Um... (laughs) Uh, 2000, what year are we? Yeah, 20 years. Wow, Wow, 20 years. 20 years strong. Oh my God, congratulations. So yeah, guys, Karen and her husband ran away to Vegas and got married. And so that's that's what this is about. We knew each other a month. Sid, which is like longer than Craig and Sid. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Now, if they had gone to Vegas, they would have gotten there happily ever after. Yeah, they really would have. They should have gone to the circus circus. But, okay. Well, you know what? Doesn't Vegas have bad connotation for Sid? Wasn't that what she was Yeah, saying? that's what I was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think, Sid, I think Sid went out on that trip. Yeah. <laughs> but she had a great time. The best kidnapping I've ever seen. She did lose Jake, though, as a boyfriend, She right? did. She did lose Jake. Um, okay, so I, I don't... Correct me if I've, I've skipped anything here, but I think we now have Amanda confronting Kyle because she, like, storms into the, the kitchen of the restaurant and says that she needs some money because, yeah. like, shit's about to go down at D&D. Um, and, and he's like, no, I don't have any money. And she's like, well, I really need it. Don't make me beg. And he's like, beg? You haven't even asked me for it. Um, and she's really freaking out because she's losing her company. He's like, what is happening to you? The theme, and it's not really well developed before we dive into this episode, the theme is Amanda is being brought down. The thing yeah. is, we're try- Amanda is just going to completely melt away from the, the tough businesswoman she was. Yeah, and she is just lashing out at everybody at this point. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. she wants her and, money and- out of the club. She wants... You know, I I'm surprised she I'm surprised she hasn't tried to burn down the apartment building for the insurance money yet. I mean, she is just on a tear, that woman. Yeah, and in a different way than she has been throughout the show, which is like, you know, why people always thought that Amanda Woodward was a bitch. Like this is this reeks of desperation. Yeah. Um, yeah and it again, is a different Amanda. And again, I like the way that uh, Ms. Locklear is selling it. Um, and things keep going from bad to worse because they only have. One small client remaining at D and D, and then she. But finds that's out okay. They don't have staff. They've all defected to. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> they only have. They're all sky high, including Billy. The one we find out is in the middle of all of the drama going on with Billy and Sam's dad and the cops. He still has the presence of mind to jump ship, and he tells Amanda that he too is leaving D and D. And and she's like, how dare you after everything I've done to you? And Billy is like, for four years, you treated me like dirt. So Billy apparently has selective memory because... He ran the place, practically. My recall of, of yeah, Billy's reign is quite different. Um, like, exactly. how dare he indeed? Like, <laughs> he was running that place. Yeah, you know, 
everyone running all their like games on this episode, and somehow the one who has pissed me off the most is Billy Campbell. Surprise! <laughs> um, and then we get to uh, uh, Amanda is outside <laughs> Lindy Toy. Her last uh, remaining client. She needs Lindy to talk toys. to Mr. Lindy. <laughs> I wish we had seen Mr. Lindy. I know. <laughs> but, and I have reason to believe that Mr. Lindy was still in there. And that the security guard who says he just left is lying. But either well, isn't way, Amanda... that why she has the panic attack? Yeah. I either thought way, she like, yeah. figured that he knew she, he was, you know, Mr. Lindy was probably like, Do don't let her out. you think that's what triggers it? Yeah, that's how I read that scene. That could be. That's a that's a a, a great read. Um, but Amanda is denied access to Lindy and feels like she has now lost D and D's one remaining client and has what looks like a nervous breakdown or a heart attack. Something. Uh, what I will say is this was one of the heavily um, uh, like played scenes in the the scenes from next episode when they showed the preview scenes leading into this finale um, in real time when the show aired and us watchers were not clear what was happening we actually thought there might have been an earthquake was the, one of the storylines because it looks like maybe the ground is shaking beneath Amanda no it's actually Amanda shaking herself to the ground and that's basically where the first half of the episode ends that's where in um syndication it would have had like a to be continued end of episode to find out what has happened with amanda but we open back we come back from commercial with that um and it's kind of a nice like bow tie and that the person who talks to her in the hospital is peter yeah. who she hasn't really interacted with at all and what we find out, it's not an anxiety attack. or Well, they may have called it that later. Um, but it, it's not a heart attack. It's a stress episode. Um, uh, oh, this is another know. one of my favorite lines. When she's, like, talking about how she only has Mr. Lindy as a client. And yeah, then, it's really weird. And Peter's, like... Broadway Lindy, and she's like, no, Toy Lindy. But there's no explanation. I don't know what Broadway Lindy yes, is. Right! It's like, what? <laughs> why does Peter know any of the, like, I know they were married, maybe they talked about work, but I was like, there's no explanation. There's no context. I need to no, know I mean, who Broadway Lindy is. There was a Lindy's Deli, but yeah, that's, that's not like Broadway Deli. That's not like Broadway. Yeah, um, I don't know. But also, if they were married and talked about clients, and also Peter had been on that board two years ago, he would have known anyway. Um, we never like, had a Broadway Lindy on, sta on as a client. No, you wouldn't know. God. I need so, to, like, I just need to know. I know, we'll never find out. These are questions <laughs> that will never, ever be answered, dear. Uh, and Peter Peter reiterates the whole thing about like how Amanda has now like deflated, she has softened, like what has happened to her. Um and he's like, You need to focus on Kyle's jazz club. Forget about D and D. And she and then he like really like sticks the knife in. He's like, Look, no one has sent you any flowers, no one has visited you. I mean, part of it's because they're all busy leaving the show. But um, you know, like he's trying to reinforce to Amanda, like, check yourself, girl. This is your rock bottom. Become a yeah. better person and move on. Yeah, like, uh, he's not the only one hitting rock bottom in this episode. It is Amanda, too. No, exactly. Uh, and so this is 
the moment where, as Peter leaves Amanda, that other doctor catches up to him and tells Peter about the wrong EEG and how this one doesn't indicate anything. That's how he was able to, that's how, when he was able to find out and what turns that whole storyline around. So then Kyle visits Amanda, and this is another scene that I wish we had seen, not taking place off camera, because of all people, Taylor has told Kyle that Amanda had this stress episode. Well, I'm not even aware that Kyle and Taylor are talking, at least civilly. Um, so I guess Peter had told Taylor at home at one point when they weren't lying to each other. Um, and at some point, Taylor was able to tell Kyle. But I wish I had seen that because that yeah. tells that their relationship is now in a different place. At any way, at any rate, Kyle is visiting Amanda. Um, and he says now that he's able to get the money for her that she needed. For the loan and they argue and she's like well i needed it a day ago and he's like well you came and commanded me for it and i didn't have it but i have it now um and he's like can't you just say thank you and i need you and they don't make up they they fight um meanwhile craig and sid's wedding is rapidly approaching like this whole wedding is happening in two seconds in los angeles but no one is coming. And by no one, I mean mm-hmm. Jane isn't coming. The parents aren't coming. <laughs> They're not even mentioned. Um, also, who has a church wedding at night? I, I don't know. Never... I guess they got a special. Yeah, yeah. it's probably the only time it was available. It was such a last minute. Um, and so that's when like Craig starts demanding that all of their new hires at Sky High uh, come to their wedding. And then he basically demands that Billy be his best man. <laughs> um, and it's there in the new Sky High offices where this happens that former D&D employee Guy shows up and he gives Billy the message from Allison that she's leaving town and that when she'll be at the airport. So that's how Billy's able to find Allison. That's how, that's how he finds out. Um, so, by the way, after Billy has that, like, exchange and that kiss with Allison, he tries to make up with Sam one more time in the Melrose Place laundry room, and he writes a list of all the things he loves about her, and watching Andrew Shue act this out, it may be the worst thing he's ever done. Because he's trying to do it in, like, a lovey-dovey, oh. soft-voiced way. And, and he's like, I love the way you do this and that and this. And I love the way you do that la-di-da thing. It's, it's like so embarrassing that <laughs> even Sam has to leave the scene. It's like he was big. Do you think he was making that up on the spot? He might have. Do you think they he were really, like that may have been, Yeah, they were basically <laughs> like, okay, Billy, your character comes up with a list of things you like. Yes, and here you go. Because it was like, it was really bad. It, it was terrible. Yeah, I mean, the whole, yeah. The whole thing is bad. And, like, he kind of forgot he had to, like, he was supposed to be writing something, like, reading something down he wrote. Because he was, like, searching for words. Yeah, he's (laughs) staring off into space, really. (laughs) Again, I'm also Team Billy here, so I'm like, Sam, I understand why she feels lied to and mad. She was lied to. Um, But... But she's the one who really screwed up here with her stupid-ass dad. So, you know, Billy, among other things, gave that loser his entire life savings. So maybe she should be a bit more grateful for that in the first place. But no, she she storms off. 
Can we so, also, I think, I think it's also worth mentioning the laundry room. This is the creepy laundry room yeah. where like Allison got, was it Allison that got freaked out because she, there was a creepy, or was it Kimberly? I don't remember now, but Kimberly, well, it's, it's the one Kimberly, Kimberly blew up. Yeah. yeah, it's the one Kimberly blew up, but then wasn't there like something rapey that was going on in the laundry room? I don't think so. Wasn't there was that, that creeper that was like spying on? I thought Alex he was. I thought he was spying on Amanda and Joe through like uh, a, a hole in the ceiling or yeah. Like, but didn't they catch him apart. in the laundry room? I don't know. I, I remember there being. They might have. Like, I mean, I'm not arguing. The laundry room. Did they have him tied up in the laundry? They, Where... I thought they tied him up in in, a, in the apartment, but I may be misremembering. Well, anyway, but it's creepy. It's creepy. It was cre- it's well, creepy. now it is. And then, and then when they tried yellow. to make, and then yeah, yeah, they've redone it from the bombing, and it's now like this beautiful, sunny, cherry yellow. I thought it was very nice. Good job, Amanda. <laughs> That's right. The the rebuilding, they put some thought into it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they did though when Michael and Sydney were trying to bring back Kimberly's, uh, thoughts of Henry. They hired that actor, and he stalked her in that basement too, which adds to the scary factor. Maybe that was that. I but I just remember the yeah that basement. But yeah, but props. But now it's not. Really yellow. Now it's yeah. not. Um, so, okay, sorry. Aside. Okay, so this is pretty much everything that has happened prior to Craig and Sid's wedding. It has happened real quick, but we're there now. Craig and Sid, who. Uh, remember, we haven't had Sid be very happy for much of her time on the show. She may have been, you know, like doing a lot of messing around with people, but but she's really just needed some good love and thinks she's found this in Craig and they're here to get married. Um, they're getting married at this church and it's at night. So, so Billy is there because he is Craig's best man and Kyle and Jennifer are there and they come together because why not and and matt is there with chelsea who he is now in charge of again so okay a couple things happen one (laughs) basically the second that sid starts walking down the aisle (laughs) matt decides to tell everyone else within earshot like like kyle and jennifer that amanda as part of like these big life changes she's just decided to make she is now leaving and Matt is the new building manager. You know, like really important information to tell but, right as Sid is walking down the aisle. But it but it's kind of yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, oh by the way, mail your rent checks to me. Yeah. But <laughs> but that's what prompts Kyle to run out, which is also pretty rude. Right, because the, the exact because basically the moment that he takes off is the does anyone have any objection? Yes. So, of course, they both look up. And I don't even think there's, like, a moment of hope in Sid's eyes that maybe Kyle wants her. I think that's how in love Sid is with Craig, which is a small detail, but one that I had looked for back when I watched it in real time. I think at that point it's just more confusion as to why are you getting up. And then Kyle takes off because he wants to find Amanda. But first, before that can happen... We go to the supermarket where Sam has been working in her candy striper outfit, as Alyssa pointed out. That's what her uniform looks like. Yeah. Um, so like, Jim, I don't remember anybody working in a supermarket in the 90s wearing that. 
No, it's like, it is very like 50s Piggly Wiggly kind of uh, a uniform, isn't it? Yes. But anyway, so Jim, Sam's dad, was making that call from Mexico, but that was to fool the cops into thinking he had fled the country. He has unfled the country and is back in L.A. and is holding her supermarket at gunpoint. So he robs them. He, you know, he basically turns a gun on everyone at one point or another, uh, gets all the cash that he can, and then they get in Sam's car. Um, she's at the, in the driver's seat with him holding a gun on her in the passenger seat, and they take off. She, you know, I mean, like, against her will. Yeah. And, and so then they are, like, on the road. Before we get back to the wedding... We see Kyle and Amanda. She is basically like leaving Melrose Place and another one of her big white power suits with a couple suitcases. Um, and they finally like, you know, like lay all the cards out. Um, this scene is very reminiscent of a film that was really popular at the time it was written and filmed, uh, Jerry Maguire. Basically everything that Kyle is saying about how like he needs Amanda on multiple levels, some of which like Kevin even figured out yet. This is very much the you complete me scene that yeah. Tom Cruise has with Ace Elwiger at the end of Jerry Maguire. Um, and, that, and, that, and that's what it finally takes. They finally admit that like they love and want and need each other. Um, and so I guess Amanda is not leaving town and leaving the show because he picks her up and like carries her back up to her apartment. And that's the last we see of Kyle and Amanda for the season. And then we're back to Sam, who's in the car with her dad, shrieking, and finally gets him to, like, them to pull over. Because I assume, like, she's steering, but his foot is on the accelerator, I guess. Um, And, I mean, it's bad acting all around. But what this storyline basically comes down to is Sam acknowledging that she loves Billy. And, and like, that's the most important thing. And she's like, Dad, can't you just turn yourself in? Or I'll get out of the car and you can turn yourself in. And it looks like for the first time, like, this egg is starting to crack. And Jim is like, I guess Billy's not such a bad guy after all. I see you do love him. It almost looks like he's going to relent and let her go until the cop cars come from around the corner And Sam has just said, Dad, pull over. I can get out, right? She goes, there's a church just up ahead. And that's when the cops come and he floors it. And so then we go back to said church where the wedding has taken place. Craig and Sid are now married. They leave the church and, you know, people are cheering and whatever. Uh, And the photographer goes, now can I have some of just the bride? So now Sid is standing alone and posing. We get a scene of Jennifer walking up to Craig and saying, may I be the first to congratulate the groom? Gives him a nice kiss, not on the cheek, but on the lips. And then this is a very quickly uh, kind of confusing scene because we have Sam like losing control at the wheel with her dad flooring it. Their car goes off the road and crashes onto the lawn in front of the church. 
And, you know, there's like pandemonium and people are screaming and running out of the way. There's a quick scene of Matt getting Chelsea out of the way. And I think maybe even Craig getting Jennifer out of the way. And then a very quick moment of Sid turning just in time to see the car Sam is driving plow into her. She flies over the car in her wedding dress and then lands on the ground, blood on her head. Um, Billy runs to the car to try and get Sam out. And we see Craig crying over Sydney, going, she's dead. Oh, my God, she's dead. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. And that's the end of the season. Yeah. And that is the third character to leave the series. So we have lost Jake. We have lost Allison. We have lost Sid. We have kept Amanda. That was a close one. Few. Um, but yeah, what a season. What a season. And re- really, what a way to end the season. Yeah. Uh, there, aren't a, there aren't a ton of like really standout episodes of season five the way there were in earlier seasons. But I do think that uh, season five is the last truly great or memorable episode uh, in the series run. At the very least, it's, it's probably the last seminal episode that the, the series has. There's just too much going on and too many people coming and going and changing gears for it to not be, even if you don't like the storylines. Um, and there are a good number of, I think, quote-worthy lines. I think we've all thrown a couple of them out. Um, so I think this is one of the better episodes of the season and like really like the last great memorable episode. But right. Karen, did yes. you remember that this was going to happen? You know, it's, no, I, I, I remember, I actually did when I started rewatching this, uh, this episode, remember, I remembered the episode, um, uh, but it, I think it was one of those things where I might've seen it. It might've been like on in the background while I was doing something else. Cause like, I remember the Taylor Peter scene. I was like watching it going, I remember that when he was about to push her off the building. Um, I kind of remember the sky high advertising. Like there were, there were elements of it that, I, but I didn't remember, did not remember any of the big things. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, um, so, so, so uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I watched it straight through and I just caught bits and pieces of it over, you know, whether in syndication or actually when it aired, I'm not sure. Um, but I do know I had at least seen part of it. Um, what year was this again? 1997? Yeah. What, this would have been like summer 97, spring 97? Yeah, this it was, it was like now? May 97. Oh my god, I'm trying to remember where I was in May of 97. I was in New York. That I know. Um, you were probably living the life. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Well, I remember where I was because I had a big season finale party at my house. Um, and there were like 20, 25 people there. It was kind of a big deal. Um, and we rewound that last scene at least 20 times. And laughed, and like some people who were like legit fans of the show with me, like were legit upset to see Sid go. It's, and I remember, and I was not the first person to say this. Several people who were watching in my parents' basement said, oh, "At least she died happy." <laughs> it's just like strange for this show to be like 
cold-blooded, <laughs> you know, like even... It does feel like that. It really does. Yeah, she finally gets her happily ever after and they just like have a car run her over. Right, like, like they could have written out Jake and Allison together. They could have, you know, like, if they wanted to write Sid out happily, but maybe not Craig because uh, David Charvet did want to stay, you know, then they could have had Carter come back. They should have had Carter come back and whisk her away. They could have given all of those characters a happy ending and they gave it to none of them. I mean, they could have had Sid, like, you know, her and Craig move in somewhere and then we never see Sidney again. Sure, sure. The show basically acts like once you leave Melbourne, like, you so die. It's like, you know... They can't uh, talk to you again, yeah. Yeah, it's like the book The Blinds. Like, once you leave The Blinds, yeah, you're yeah, never heard yeah, from yeah. again. Like, like that's how Melrose plays X. Once you move out, we forget your number and... Yeah, shout out to the book by Adam Sternberg, The Blinds, which is excellent, and I will tweet at him that we mentioned him here. Uh, <laughs> but, it, but it is. It's like, you may as well not exist anymore. But, it's true. Um, well, Alyssa, you've never been a huge Sid fan, right? No, but you know she's a love to hate for me. You know she. Okay, I thought you were like annoyed by her, as opposed to Karen and I loving her. I mean, no, I she is annoying, <laughs> especially in her groove is in the heart era <laughs> <laughs> when she would dress like Lady Miss Keir or whatever. That yeah, yeah, yeah. But she, I mean, that was they also gave her nothing to do but wear fabulous <laughs> outfits. Yeah, so, you know. Yeah. Remember when she was eating like tuna fish and peanut butter? T- like, <laughs> like yeah, in that she era. She was always the one they would do fun things with. The office. Yeah, she like really didn't have much to do in season four now that I think about it. Um, well, and I mean, if we talk about like uh, how the characters evolved, you know, she was the adult taking care of Jane for the first half of season five. And then. She didn't really resort to many of her old tricks in the second half, except for, you know, the, the D&D lawsuit, which was really just, and Alyssa will know what I mean here when I say a MacGuffin, to get to her and Craig becoming an actual couple. We, I refer to that because that was been on Turner Classic Movies as, like, the Hitchcockian device, like, the thing that gets the story going but isn't the main point of the story. Yeah. Um, but I feel like we got Sid to a place where she was really, like, an adult in the world, and it's sad that it, she has to go like this, but also very poetic in that she and Sam had become arch enemies over the course of the season, and it's at Sam's hands that she dies. Well, you know, they sort of, like, season four and five, they sort of, like, tried different storylines out with her. Like, they were throwing everything to the wall. They did. Just, like, it didn't help that having her pine after... Kyle? Oh, no, even before then. Bobby, right, Bobby? Wasn't she? Oh, yeah, yeah, that definitely was half-baked and did not go anywhere. Like, inexplicably, like, pine after him when they've had, like, one scene together. Didn't really... Like, I would have loved to see her and Amanda actually feud over Bobby, because that one scene they do have with the matching dresses is fun, but even, like, oh, one episode she produced a porn and then like one up you know and then like even the boutique it was like ah well we're done with this right well karen 
Like, how many times did I ask you? I was like, is Sam still a painter? Remember, she was like an art yeah, agent. Samuel Kirov. <laughs> yeah, it was like you know, Sydney. Sydney had four hundred jobs. Yeah. <laughs> the, Jack you know, of they, all, Jack went of all yeah, trades. There's always that. like a joke on The Simpsons, and now they get meta about like how many jobs Homer has had, and that's Sydney. She's done it all. <laughs> Well, I mean, Karen, I mean, your thoughts on Sydney's demise? I'm sad. Yeah. I don't want her to go. I mean, and who who are our replacements for next season? We're going to we're we need three new actors. Who are we getting? Well, they basically just have trimmed the herd. So oh. they don't bring in that many, but um the, our Jennifer becomes full-time. Right. Uh, so we have Megan and Taylor and Amanda and Sam. And then they bring in Jamie Lunar, who had been on Just the Ten of Us and the show Savannah, which was a soap in the mid-90s. Uh, and, like, that's kind of it. Um, and the only new man they bring in is Lyndon Ashby, who played Joe's ex-husband in season one. But he plays a completely different character with a different backstory uh, when he joins the cast in season six. Oh, hilarious. Okay. Um, and so our other men then are Billy, Craig, Kyle, and Peter. And Michael. Oh, sorry. Of course. Michael. That's, yeah, Michael. Yeah, but Michael has been so far removed from Melrose Place. So yeah. At this point, yeah, you know, I, I'm not surprised that one would forget him. Right. So another thing about Sid dying is, you know, like no final scenes with Michael, no mention uh, between her and Michael, no final mention from or of Jane with Sid. Um, you know, like a lot of her past involved them. And and that's all that's all kind of done. Um, but I should say in real life. Laura Layton marries Doug Savant. I think they get married shortly after this season and it ended, uh, either in late 97 or early 98. And they're still married now. And that's almost yes. 25 years. So yes. good on them. And um, she comes back for a limited role in 90210 that doesn't really go anywhere in, um, in like the fall of 98. And, and has done some TV work off and on, most notably on Pretty Little Liars uh, as one of the main characters, Mothers. Um, and that was on for about six or seven seasons. And one of the other characters on that show was Chad Lowe. So their characters have a, a sort of unofficial reunion um, uh, within, with, uh, on Pretty Little Liars. We also saw her in a Hallmark movie. That we did. We've seen Christmas like a, which one was that? Christmas on Honeysuckle Lane. Yeah, the one with Alicia Witt, and I don't remember who the guy was. They were sisters. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of Melrose Place actors in Hallmark movies, actually. And we keep looking for more. In fact, one of the things that we're going to dive into soon, there's a series of movies. They now have five of them called The Wedding March, and that's Old Jack Wagner and Josie. Oh, 
old Jack Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, well, he's, his face is telling a story, and the story he, is old. He's looking ashy these days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jack. He didn't age well, I guess. No. Well, I don't know if it's aging or, like, bad work or too much work. I think it's a combination of, like, being in the sun and having bad work. But I could be wrong. I feel like we've seen everybody but, like, Doug Savant in one of these movies. And Andrew Shue. I don't know if we've seen Marsha Cross in any. No, she does real work. (laughs) (laughs) But Marsha Cross was at Seth Rudesky's... At the reunion. Reunion, so... He keeps having, like, desperate help. Like, I think she's the one that orchestrates the whole thing. Uh, I think you're, uh, yeah, I think you're right, actually. I think he reached out to her, and she's the one that got it going. Because there was, like, a Desperate Housewives reunion, too. Oh, okay. But still, you know, good for her. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean about Jack. I'm actually looking at (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. He's looking a little dry. He's looking a little, like, like a husk. It's so funny because you see some actors like as they mature like male actors and I'm always like so I'm always like oh it's so not fair like because sometimes men age they just age better like they look better older than they did their younger selves. That's not true here. Well Doug Savant and Doug Savant and Grand Show aged really well. Yes. And so did Andrew Shue. They all look very close to how they looked 25 years ago. Yeah. But it's not even if you it's not even that they still look young. Like I just think men age well, you know, like George Clooney, for example, like he was not very good looking when he did Roseanne back in the day. <laughs> um, cute. You know, when he was running the, the factory over there and having affairs with mm-hmm. Jackie. But then like you look at him now and you're like God, he is a studly man, and he but he wasn't like that, you know, thirty years ago or whatever it was. He has just aged really, really well, um, and uh, you know, but uh, not Jack Wagner. Sorry, Jack. He just looks oh, like an old man. He just looks like an old man. It is kind of refreshing. Yeah, it can happen to the best and the Jack Wagner of us. Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, any other final thoughts? I know this one has run long. It's a jumbo episode for an action-packed show, though. Uh, so, yeah, any other parting thoughts from either of you? Um, no, I'm just, I'm really kind of curious what the what the next season is going to bring, um, because we have lost a lot of our kind of linchpins um, this, this season. And, and because I enjoyed season four so much, I mean, I think that... Five? Season five, sorry. Hated season four. Oh my God. Um, it's like I just forgot. I was just pretending season four didn't exist, and this is my season four. Um, so, apart from season two, I think this was my favorite one. Oh, wow. Even even more than season three with, with uh, the bombing and everything. Yeah, I think so. I think this show has, I know, Doug, you might disagree. I feel like the show actually got better without Kimberly. Yes. It's a lot of Kimberly storylines were redundant. Redundant and 
dumb. Yeah. And especially the stuff with the psych ward at the end of season yep. four. Yeah. So I think killing her off was helped a lot. Um, I don't know if I think it got better without Kimberly, but I think they did not know what to do with her for all of season four and season five. And those stories did know, did, dishonored what Kimberly had been in seasons two and three. Um, so I don't disagree in that, like, they needed to finally move past her because, like, they weren't doing right by her. But we'll see if you guys like what's to come in season six. My memory is not that enthusiastic, but I'm looking forward to watching it with uh, new eyes or a different lens or however we want to call it. Okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah, and you guys, this episode is so long, we're taking next week off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. We're taking next week off. Um, but we will be back the week after. Um, but yeah. Yeah, thanks for coming on this journey with us. As always, indeed. Thank you, guys. Um, so we'll be back in two weeks, and we'll have both a Back on the Block and a Hollywood Boulevard episode then. So if there's anything going on in Melrose world or real world that you want us to talk about, um, that you want our opinions on, uh, please let us know. Do find us on our Facebook page, Back on the Block Pod. Um, and we're always happy to, to factor any of that stuff in. We definitely want to know what your thoughts are on this season and particularly on this episode and our uh, our friends departures um, oh, and Alyssa, thank you for being here thanks for having me it's always fun to have you agreeing with me oh by the way i'm the new manager of the building now <laughs> you can send you can send your rent checks to Alyssa. <laughs> is this a bad time to mention that <laughs> make them out to cash Funny. All right, y'all. And that's it, guys. Take care. Okay. Karen, go to bed. Um, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you two weeks from now. We are back on the block. Bye. <laughs>